time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hatton Audio Podcast. So, we're going to talk about one of our favourite music genres today, and that is the rock subgenre called AOR, which sort of stands for album oriented rock arena oriented rock there's a sort of like subset of that which is just melodic rock in general and um a lot of our favorite rock bands sort of come from that genre both from like the classic rock bands in the 80s um through to like modern rock bands because there's a bit of a revival or resurgence of this kind of music isn't there yeah and if you are unfamiliar with the term AOR, the giants of the genre that I'm sure everybody will know are bands like Journey and bands like Boston and these sort of heavyweight classic rock or, you know, best rock ever or whatever it, whatever it's normally called. They are often the, the heavyweights of the genre because they sort of invented it. The reason why they're so successful is because they merged this you know, the the rock genre that was obviously coming up for quite some time since the 50s and they sort of made it almost radio perfect, which is why why it's the way it is, you know, all the songs are often perfectly crafted. Yeah, catchy, good arrangements to keep your attention. They don't go on for too long. They don't do any individual thing for too long. Like there's no jamming sections that could bore the listener. It's like, a quick, concise riff or solo, isn't it? Uh, particularly when when we're talking about singles. A lot of the bands come from different backgrounds. Say, for example, Journey comes from a jazz background, but you would have to really start listening into the deeper cuts, I think, for that to be obvious. Yeah, the first... Yeah, I mean, like, Journey were, were, were a little bit jazzy, wasn't they, in the first three albums? And then they sort of, like, slowly went more just rock without the jazz and occasionally you'll hear a little bit of that yeah, won't you like in some of the songs it's like as you say that the the singles and the songs that they're known for are super punchy super radio friendly and just they get they get it done basically but it's a really interesting genre because a lot of people have had issues with it like critically in the past like in interviews saying that you know what's what's really the point in making music that's so perfect and then how do you chase that perfection but as as often these members of these bands like Toto and Jerry say in interviews now because music has changed so much by comparison these albums are not perfect these albums are almost like live albums because there's they didn't have the technology to do pitch correction and stuff for the most part obviously that there's some pitch shifting goes on and tape messing yeah, there's about a little bit of like cheeky tape manipulation to like speed up or slow down the pitch so that um sometimes sing a little bit higher on certain records uh but for the most part compa- compared to what you can do on a computer today these albums are mostly analog or mostly hardware oriented and even when they started to get the digital technology it's you know it's ni- late 1980s digital technology. It's nothing like what you can do on Ableton today or, or in your door. Yeah, it's weird to think that most laptops with GarageBand on probably have more functionality to record than some of those 80s studios. I mean, it's like, a, uh, it's is it Mike Olson's um, Goodnight LA? Am I getting his name right? 
I feel like I'm getting his name right. Keith Olsen. Keith Olsen. I knew it was close. I knew it was close. Thank you for that. Mike Oldfield, I think. Yes, Keith I know. Olsen. I, like, like I said, they say famously some of the bands went into his studio and he did it all with one fader. And that's all he had. He just had one fader and he said, that's all he needs. Yeah. You know, and it's a bit like that with the modern sort of doors for people who have laptops. It's like, you don't even need faders. It's all in the computer. Yeah. And that's yeah, basically what he was alluding to in the in the eighties is that he doesn't need the fancy studio because it's all going digital, it's all going in the box. And that's where like the interest comes in because obviously these bands were taking production to its limit. They was using like two mixing desks like sandwiched together to get as many tracks as possible. Syncing tape machines together. Yeah, you know, just to just to give them multi tracking options and you know, now you don't even have to think about that a lot of the time. The only thing you've got to think about is is your CPU gonna take all the tracks and plugins that you've put on really. Um So the other thing with AOR is for every band that is widely acclaimed and well-known and that you'll hear on movies, TV and everything. There's these bands that are equally amazing and that have almost, like, for lack of a better term, been lost to time. One of these bands features a lot of men, members of Journey and it's the band's called The Storm and we listened through them we listened to their first album and yes. we was absolutely blown away because it was like discovering, like, almost like a Journey album that hadn't ever been or, or some sort of equivalent and it's just a really fantastic listen. You can only describe it as like crate digging in a vinyl shop and then you stumble upon like something where you go, this is perfect, this is exactly what I'm looking for and except it's on Spotify, so it's not as interesting. But, um, you know, basically, yeah, we stumbled upon The Storm and the, the some of the singles on the first album just blew us away because it's like that perfect sort of middle ground between what Jenny was doing sort of pre-Trial by Fire, even though this is after Trial by Fire for the Storm. The Storm are a 90s band. Both albums come out in the 90s. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of almost like a continuation of what where they was going in that late 80s Jenny sound. And that's what's so interesting about it. Even though, like, half the band's Jenny, the other half of the band aren't Jenny. But, but also it features, like, Greg Rowley, who at that point, time hadn't been in journey for yeah. quite a, quite a long time as well so yeah. there's, there's some weird like thoughts you have like well if greg Rowley can do this why did he leave journey in the first place that's what you think when you listen to an album like both of the storms albums yeah yeah and we've just got the second the storm album called eye of the storm which features such hits like um living it up which is a fantastic song, fantastic song, very um, comical, actually. Like it's a feel-good rock track. That's the thing. It is. Well, that's that. Like you say, it's not a drama fest. It isn't ballad central, although there's ballads on there. There's some really, really good fun rock, and I feel like in today's music, I think this is starting to come back. But obviously, there's quite a mental health and um, sort of relatability in a lot of new rock music like when you think about bands like shinedown who have amazing albums they always say that their focus is like men's mental health because a lot of people don't talk about that music and this is sort of 
throwing back to when that was less of a thought because some of the songs on these are just like party songs in yeah. the best possible way. I think the thing is, is, a lot of the time, like a lot of the classic rock albums, really, the message is, you know, let's rock out and party, isn't it? That's, that's the message. Like, if you was to get any of like the Motley Crue albums or Kiss albums or any any of those classic rock bands, there, there wasn't really a message to most of them anyway. And if there is a message, so like, Crazy Crazy Nights, there's a duality to that message. The message is party with your people and all that. But there's also a countercurrent of them sort of being told that they need to change or they've, you know, they're, they're a bit still. Because I think the idea is that when they do Crazy Crazy Nights, like hip hop and rap and stuff is starting to come into the mainstream and Kiss feel like they're being pushed out of the mainstream because, you know, it's, um, oh, what's the line? That's the rap that they always say. Okay. And there's a there's a counter message in that song. Yeah, yeah. But to anybody listening, you just think, oh, Crazy Crazy Nights, yeah, we're having a good time. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that's the thing that these bands do so well, even if the lyrics are coming from a place where they are, you know, about a personal experience or about a possible, like, cultural change or anything or a tragedy in their lives they sort of disguise it don't they they're disguised as fun songs and and unless you really really start to sit there and pick apart the lyrics you won't really you won't really latch on to that maybe negative undercurrent in some of the songs which i think is very clever because like i say crazy crazy nights is a song where whenever i listen to it i I always hear that counter message before I hear the party song because it's one of those songs I've heard it so many times that I just, that's what sticks out to me. But like you say, it's just a song about basically having crazy nights. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Al- uh, arena orientated rock, album orientated rock, melodic rock, they're all sort of the same. They're what, the same sort of thing. Really. What I would say is album orientated rock came out of the 70s so boston definitely is in that era of aor as is the doors and many other bands but i think what happened is because just the sound of music changed that album orientated rock and the sort of bloated nature of where rock goes it sort of becomes one in the same that the rock albums by the big bands turn into stadium bands and that all their albums are arena-orientated rock. And I think it's just, it's it evolved from album to arena as the genre got bigger and bigger. And I suppose in hindsight, you look at AOR and think of a certain few things. You think of like the the stereotypical 80s keyboards, the bloated, you know, like um, drum sound with all the, the gated reverb. You think of... The, the the chuggy riffs and and the the key change halfway through the song you know these are all the things that sort of people think of which is why when people do modern rock in this style you end up with like a hyper focused sort of set of rules and not rules and regulations but like things tropes almost that they yeah. can lean on and say well we know that the final countdown started like this and we know that separate ways starts like that and these are the things that you can do these are the things that are within the realm of like the the sound of the genre basically 
yeah, like I would say like living on a prayer by Bon Jovi is a great example of like taking that to like a really far point with the yeah, key and changes then, and the, the and drama of it. If you say listen to Living on a Prayer and then you listen to Party All Night by Steel Panther, it's like that kind of thing where you, you hear all the similarities where they're clearly, they're not, they're not doing the same notes and the same song, but you can hear where they've took like the sound, the essence of the sound design, the essence of the pacing and the mood of Living on a Prayer and they've gone, let's just like do that type of thing which obviously puts everybody in like that that party mood headspace and as you mentioned steel panther they are um quite divisive because of the lyrical content but you cannot deny regardless to what you think of their the comedy and the lyrics and, yeah. and the subject of their lyrics they are absolute masters of the craft when it comes to pastiche in these old songs like yeah they do van halen they do like you say bon jovi they just sort of hit every corner and, and the more songs you listen to you know then they're, they're not necessarily doing copycat songs but they just pick all the elements from these albums and make them into something new and it's just there's not many other bands that do it quite to the same level as steel panther and i definitely think like after their first album steel panther sort of got a lot more creative and original with the music like each album's like yeah it's less less like oh well this song sounds like that and this song sounds like that and more like this song just has the vibe but it doesn't i can't really tie it to any individual song yeah yeah um but yeah i suppose steel panther really there, there wasn't first there on the 80s sort of revival with that 80s hair metal but they definitely i think the comedy helped popularized them and made them stand out and it basically. made them stand out and then obviously they are like you know one of the go-tos if you want that sort of like particularly the the van halen motley crew sort of side like the 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 sleaze rock and sleaze metal yeah, side which is it's, it's i know what you mean it's a step removed but it uses the same devices yeah. basically yeah it's more of an attitude thing i suppose but um the thing is with these songs like when you think about Ario Speedwagon can't fight this feeling anymore they're basically perfectly crafted pop songs that are all done by rock bands so you get the duality of having the attitude and the flair of the instrumentation with the you know super uh, catchy and um sort of earworm vocal and melody lines. Yeah. And uh, that's what makes it so interesting because I think, you know, we all love to see somebody like shred on a guitar, like say on the winery dogs, but they're also great at adding context because at the end of the day, if you don't have context to why you're shredding, it's hard to, it's hard to know where it's going. Yeah. I, I this is the full thing with virtuoso musicians, isn't it? In general, it's it's um, the balancing act between showing off how technically good you are and then keeping a, a general listener retained to get to that bit of the song. Because a lot of the time, with Virtuoso stuff, say, take Ingve Malmsteen. I was just about to say Capriccio di Diablo. Yeah. Um, how many people are going to listen to the full song on Spotify without going, I think I've heard enough. Yeah, because it's, it's 
almost like drilling, isn't it? Because it's all the way through. And like you say, you can't you can't deny it. But like there needs to be some sort of hook that uh, that's rooted in like a song, even with something like surfing with an alien by Joe Satriani. Yeah, that at least has the chorus bit that isn't as insane. So you can be like, oh yeah, I can remember that melody, and I can, you know. I can enjoy that song. And then when he starts really ripping it, you can go, oh, I'll start listening. Yeah, because it's it's all about, like, the thing that the AOR bands get so right is that it's about listener retention and making sure there's something for everybody. If you're you're looking forward to the guitar solo, there's one coming. If you want a sing-along chorus, there's one there, guaranteed. And the big drum fill's normally there as well. If you want, you know, that air drum fill, like, in the middle of the song, that's there too, you know. There's something for everybody. There's often, like, a, a very, you know, friendly opening to a lot of the songs that instantly pull you in to a sort of story or a world, basically. You know, like, that's... They all start quickly, you know. Yeah. They, they tend to, to grab you, particularly the radio singles, immediately because that's what you like a radio song does is it it captures your attention immediately Um, yeah and are we we sort of are we sort of passing the point of a radio song like i would argue that most songs on radio are dictated essentially by their streaming performance so i know it isn't a one-for-one but does it matter if your song isn't compatible for radio anymore. I mean, we know this regarding the language used and the censorship. Most songs on radio, particularly in the UK, are censored to hell anyway. Yeah. So that I would dictate that that is not radio-friendly. If you have to censor so much of a song, it's not, it's not designed for radio. When you're censoring the hook of the chorus, it's, it's one of those things where you go this song wasn't made for radio, even if it's being played on radio. You may have had to edit it to make it more radio-friendly. Some people swap out lines. Sometimes you just don't hear the tag of the chorus. Sometimes it's just gone when you hear it on radio. And then if you don't know that song, you're listening to the song going, well, what are they saying? What am I missing? And I would argue that in, in a lot of the sort of, in other decades, definitely pre-90s, that was not really a thing. Like, if you had to censor the main hook of the song, it it would be pick a different song because we can't, you know, they couldn't do that, really. That's the reason why so many of the bands, even the most outrageous bands, you know, like, like say, um, I suppose Motley Crue comes to mind and and Poison and and a lot of the sleazier hard rock bands that really push the envelope for what they could get away with. They're all clean songs. Yeah, they are. If there was gonna swear, they're gonna swear on a B side or an album track or something that's not like say getting the ring by Guns N' Roses. They're gonna swear when it doesn't matter as much. They're not gonna swear in the middle on, of Sweet Child of Man or something. Yeah, or knocking on heaven's door or or any of those songs, any of those singles on Use Your Illusion. They're they're reserving that for, you know, people who are listening to the album. Yeah. And that's the difference, I suppose. Whereas now I feel like getting the ring is your you single. Yeah, what by comparison? Yeah. Well, because even like I don't know if we said on one of the other ones, but um, even like Taylor Swift's like radio hits are full of swearing and lines that have been swapped out and censored, and mm. it 
it makes you realize that you know these songs aren't written with that in mind like and yeah. that changes the entire sound because if you don't have to cater for a medium then you don't have to cater for the medium it's, it sounds so simple but it's, that's that's the full reason why AOR turned into what it did is because they had to get on radio they had to be perfect for radio that's how they got their reach but now you don't have to necessarily do that you can blow up and have like a number one song radio might not have even heard of you at this point yeah and um it's it's a bit like uh the netflix or streaming shows not having to cater towards the 22 minute plus seven minutes of advert sort of format they can have an episode that's 40 minutes an episode that's an hour and then an episode that's 20 minutes it doesn't matter and that's basically where music is in in the streaming age is that you don't really need a format songs are going back to one minute 50 two minute 10 you know you see that an awful lot and yeah. uh, a lot of these AOR tracks are quite the opposite like they four are and five minutes four minutes five minutes six even the minutes. singles singles they're all the same length you know um, very rarely do you get a short song because it's very hard to deliver a key change, a two verses, three choruses, a two guitar solos, a drum fill, an intro and an outro. It's very hard to squeeze all that into a minute 50 or two minutes 10. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, I think one of the shortest songs that achieves that is, I believe, in a thing called Love by the Darkness. That's the shortest yeah. song I can think of. That Where they've got to all, fit it all in. All the story beats and like under, well, under four minutes. Or it's so. definitely under four minutes. Don't know how long it is without looking. But the question is, is that freedom a detractor or a positive to music? Because music is a, a, a it's an expression of yourself and it's a free expression but does having constraints improve the product it's it's an interesting argument i think because obviously these songs by these aor bands wouldn't have ever got that you know instantly recognizable and and there's a reason why people still love journey and and why if you walk into like I was the other day into like a B and Q or a store, you will hear more than a feeling on the loudspeakers. Even though the song's like how old now? Fifty, Ooh, sixty years? It's not quite sixty, I don't think, but it's getting there. Yeah, um, I think that's because of the appeal, the widespread appeal. The other thing with a lot of these bands is that they're very inoffensive. Yes. Um, you can walk in and like everybody loves Turtles Africa. Everybody loves More Than a Feeling. Everybody loves Don't Stop Believing. You know, people old and young still like them. Um, and that's yeah. that's what, you know, I mean, most of, in all fairness, like Africa and stuff have just turned into memes for a lot of young people. So yeah. they know them regardless. And that's the thing, you know, you can have them on and nobody's going to complain, you would hope. Yeah, um, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> but you know that that's why they have that widespread appeal they appeal to a lot of different people and obviously they're classics so they can put them on and they know it's they've stood the test of time generation after generation is like those songs and that's why they're, they're still played and that's why they're fondly remembered obviously there'll be bands that were more popular that have been lost that to have time, been lost sort of. to time but these are the bands that people remember because these are the bands that are culturally still relevant like you will hear journey on stranger things you will hear 
Boston in movies and movies. You know, you, all these songs are songs you will hear all over the place. You'll hear them. Particularly in advertising. Yeah, you'll hear them in, in advertising. You'll hear them on a night out in a club because they're those sort of songs that yeah. people will play at the end of the night or in the cheese room or whatever. You will always hear these songs and they've just sort of they've just sort of become like the the, the standard for right everybody knows this song it's a safe bet yeah you know and that's that's why they're so popular but they wouldn't have that if there wasn't good songs so onto the modern revival of this i mean there's some there's some great bands that do a lot of stuff in the rock sphere. I mean, I would say there's new bands like the Struts that occupy in the Rolling Stonesy sort of area. Yeah, and there's other bands that do. Obviously, metal has always been its own thing, but these bands, these AOR bands, take a very, very specific band to sort of do it right. Yeah. And apparently, there's something about the Swedish bands, but they get it. <laughs> Yeah, like the amount of times I'll go, now this is this is melodic rock, and you'll go on the band's bio and go, Swedish, and you're like, they're all Swedish. It feels like, I mean, not, not all Swedish, but it feels like there's a, a good chunk of a the best and, and the most, the ones where they really grab you, you, you look in the Swedish. Yeah. And I think that's, there's something so bizarre about that, but it also shows you that that culture has, you know, embraced this style of music definitely in the long run a lot more the western culture yeah um it's bands like work of Art, eclipse um i mean palace is a really good one i really like palace but there's there's so many i'm naming a lot frontiers bands which is an italian label that specializes in this kind of thing um it's it's really hard sort of think why there's such a scene in in Sweden for it because like a lot of the bands just have this sound and it's like it's just it's, it's like the go-to sound I feel like it's the equivalent of playing punk music do you know what I mean like it's like they all just know how to play it yeah yeah like just yeah. pick up a guitar and that's what you play that's yeah, the first thing it's like they're just playing like I mean it's like songs like Catch Me If I Fall By Wet they could almost yeah. be Journey if you just had Journey re if you had Journey play it even though it's written by Wet it, they've just hit all of the beats that a journey song would hit yeah and and it doesn't sound like a specific journey song that's the thing that i that's what really blows me away if you can listen to like a song that's like a pastiche of a band but not a song by that band just the band that's where you're like how have they done this because none of the none of the specific songs come to mind mm. but this this definitely sounds like the band yeah, they've sort of like boiled down everything the band's known for and sort of like put it into one song that hits all those sort of story beats of what you would expect a band like Journey to do. And then they just give you it. And then it's only like when you're listening to the very end of the song that you're like, oh yeah, this sounds like a Journey song, you know, because yeah. it sort of um, sort of slowly guides you there. And, you know, unless you're really thinking about it, you're just going to think that's a nice song. And then, then it's going to really hit you at the end when they do all the, like, uh, don't stop believing solo, soloing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you're like, Oh, this, this is a, like a journey song almost. But, um, but these bands also, they have a sound to themselves. You know, they are distinctive. Like 
when we think some of our favourites are like Wet, Work of Art, you know, Eclipse. Cray is a very good newer band that's come yeah. out as well. Um, they seem to be really good at adding like just a touch more modern production where the, it just hits slightly harder. Um, there's a, there's just a really nice level of sound design as well to complement yes. the band. And they're trying to use the technology to make it more interesting as well. Yeah, like Siberia by Cray is where this sort of genre would have gone if it was still like radio friendly yeah. all the way through up to like the 2000s. That's the sort of thing that I think of, you know. Or like work of arts, like I mean, anything off in progress. In progress is one of those albums where I think it's one of the first melodic rock albums we heard from like a Swedish band or newer Swedish band, and it was just you listen to it and it's just unbelievably well produced and yeah. it's so interesting because all the guitars, drums, bass, all that's there, but there's this thick layer of keyboards and the keyboards are just wild on there it's not too dissimilar to what Toto would have done yeah. really if they would have kept going and, and said uh, I know that Toto didn't necessarily break up but if they would have really pushed the keyboard sound design and the synth sound design like they did on classic songs like Rosanna yeah, where yeah. they was like we're gonna make like an orchestral section out of Moogs you know if they were still doing that today I feel like work of art would be the natural conclusion of that yeah, and like you say, the, the, the way they use the apps on In Progress and the way the keyboards just like hit you in the face, the the just the full dynamics of the song and the way the songs come together, they're very punchy and they're just yeah. very well crafted. And that album is just like, I mean, I would put it in like my top 10 rock albums of all time. It is progress. like unbelievably good. And it, I don't know what it is about the album. It's it's absolutely cranked as well I on think a mastering front. I think there's a fondness for me and Peter with it because it is one of the first albums we had that was like that, in that style. And then... But what I, a first one of them to hear though. Yeah, well, I think... <laughs> Set the bar high. In Progress has like, it is a slight, it's like, it's got all the melodic, rock stuff in but there's like a like a, a slight twist on it that makes it sound very like it's coming from a very different place yeah. as well um and that's what's so cool about it uh, and i suppose the keyboard forward nature of it gives it a very unique sound design if you used to mute the keyboards for a lot of these bands they they do kind of like stagnate a little bit for yeah. interest because obviously there's only so much you can do with a guitar and a bass and a drum kit. Like, yeah. you are limited. And the, the reason the keyboards and the production come in is to sort of lift that out of sounding like any other song. Yeah. It gives it, like, a uniqueness that, you know, like, and a memorability to it that it doesn't just sound like another riff or another thing because there's so much going on. Um a bit like why people really like the final countdown is that there's so much going on. There's so much to, to instantly break out of. If you've say listened to a load of rock bands where none of them have any keyboards and then Europe comes on, it's like, Oh, these sounds well, and the intro and everything. When you've got a bed of keyboards, you can then start to play ostinatos and things that are less common on guitar because you don't have to worry about providing the chords. You can just play 
lead elements or, or like I say, um, pedal turn elements over the top, and that's where you can get really interesting results. Yeah, and I think it just opens them up to doing a lot more um, for songwriting. So that's our takes on melodic rock, AOR, and all the sort of genres associated with that. And the question is, is like, for you to think about maybe in like the, the, the comments or whatever, is does radio actually have a positive or negative impact on the music? That's the question. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting thought, and let us know what you think. So I've been Mark. And I've been Peter. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>